Welcome to the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast here on the Backbreaker Media Network. And now your host, Big Bad Boris. The kids are nestled snug in their beds. It is time for another edition of the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast on the Backbreaker Podcast Network. My name is Big Bad Boris, and I'm extra specially joyously excited to have a good friend, an old friend, I don't know if I could say an old friend, a good friend, a good man, Mr. Drew Dalby joining me on the podcast. Mr. Dalby Drew, how the hell are you? I'm, I'm good, man. I feel like old friend is probably accurate. I mean, both in we go back uh, quite a ways, but also like we're old now, dude. We're very old. <laughs> like we, I like I think I got a couple a- of young bucks hanging out at those old pwa shows but uh i think i got a couple of years on you though right how old are you i know it's not polite to ask a lady her age but what, what are you, what are you, pushing? What are you pushing? just turned 38 this year oh dude come on now well listen i didn't want to make it awkward to point out that you're significantly older than me but I was 30, just you're saying, not even like, 40 yet in our general terms we're both getting uh, you you got your whole life ahead of you my knees are in their 60s thanks to wrestling <laughs> this is true we're going to talk about that uh just before i hit the old record button we were talking a little bit of football the uh you're, are you still a rider fan technically is that still injected into your blood from your time over there i will say that it's it's lapsed somewhat since i was professionally a rider fan working in regina at a rock station for a company that had the broadcast rights to the team you can't help but get swept up in it but i mean even going back to my uh, college is because I grew up in the Northwest Territories. We obviously mm. do not have a CFL team. And people always used to ask like, oh, what team are you going to cheer? You can pick any team in the country. What team are you going to cheer for? Uh, and I always said, you know what? I'll, if, if they put a team in Yellowknife, I'll play the hometown card and I'll get on board with that. But otherwise, I just like football. So I'm just going to watch football and I don't have to worry about the ups and downs of rooting for a professional sports team when it comes to the CFL. But I got to uh, to Nate, and I went to radio school there, and I uh, went to school with a couple of guys named um, Craig Lederhaus, and he, who worked for the CBC for a good while. I don't think he's there anymore. And also uh, Corey Graham, who up until very recently mm-hmm. was uh, with TSN 1260 in Edmonton, and they were both diehard Rider fans, and they both sort of got me into the 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 cult so to speak of uh rough rider nation i i was never in all the way but i think then once i got to like i got to lloyd uh, lloyd minster and i was living on the saskatchewan side so you started to get those little itches of like okay i kind of get this whole rider vibe thing and then living in regina like you're so immersed in it and also the rough riders gave me three or four different rider jerseys for free. So I'm, I'm cheap. I can be bought oh, yeah. and I was bought. <laughs> so I still rocked my rider gear, but uh, I, I didn't watch too many games this year. I will say that. Now, let me ask you a question and I want you to tell me the truth. All right. Yes. Have you ever put a watermelon on your head? <laughs> no, there's, it's really hard to get a watermelon that big, you know, <laughs> I'm not against it by principle, but I do have a fairly large melon myself. So, no, I, I never, I never did the watermelon head or any of that other stuff. Uh, I was, I was just happy to wear the jersey, and and then that was it. I call it a day. Did you watch the game on Sunday? I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched the second half, and uh, sort of with like a, a passing eye because I had my kids, and mm-hmm. there, that game was uh, winding its way towards their bedtime, but. 
they got to stay up a little late that day just because it went to overtime. And I was like, yeah, yeah, kids, dad's watching the game on his phone. <laughs> Keep Player- watching Bluey on Disney Plus. I'm busy. There you go. Players got to make plays. And unfortunately, my, my players didn't make enough plays. And that's just the way things go sometimes. Well, I mean, listen, that late March to even send it to overtime was a fairly impressive mm-hmm. piece of business. And then the riders got the ball back and they tried their best to, to do the same thing and ended up kneeling into overtime, which I, I get why you do it. I get, you know, you, you're scared to, to bomb a hail Mary all the way down the field, because what if they intercepted and they yeah. break through all the coverage, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's the CFL, so you're not paying them a ton, but you are paying these men to play football. <laughs> like, yeah, sometimes you gotta hang it out there just to uh, see what happens. And I mean, like, I and that's the thing too, right? Like in this case, worked out. They kneeled it out. They go into overtime. They they end up winning the game. All's well and good. They have earned the right to go to Winnipeg and get absolutely shit kicked by the Bombers. That's <laughs> and that's. I mean, that's not a pro Bomber statement or an anti rider statement. That's just I've seen enough of the football this year to know how that story is going to end. But imagine you kneel into overtime. You don't even take a shot, mm-hmm. and then the Stamps end up winning that game yeah. in overtime. They win the the Mario Kart mini games or whatever it is that they call it to to wrap things up and. And then you look back and you go, geez, I guess maybe we could have tried to throw one touchdown. Still don't understand how the fuck this CFL shootout mini game thing. Like, I don't know. You know what the worst part about it is? It's confusing as fuck, but it's still the best overtime in football. It does. uh, It does get you. The, well, the NFL's getting there, right? They've come a long way since first person to get the ball wins. What do they do? What does the and, NFL? Uh, I don't want. I'm not an NFL guy. So, what does the NFL do for? Uh, well, overtime? now, now if it goes to to overtime in the NFL, there is still the possibility that one team won't get to touch the ball. So they do the coin toss. Whoever's getting the ball first, they that's fine. They get on the field, and they play like uh, like regular. Like there's a full on kickoff. They take the ball from their own end or wherever they returned it to. They march down. Now, if the first team with the ball scores a touchdown, game's over. Shut it down, send them home. But if they only get a field goal or don't score, the other team is then given the chance. So if they kick a field, it used to be teams would get the ball in overtime. They'd win the, the toss. They choose to receive. They get to like the 40-yard line, the absolute bare minimum, center the ball and kick it through and the game's over. And one team's offense didn't even get to smell mm-hmm. the field in overtime. Mm-hmm. Now they've made it that a fo- uh, a field goal on the opening drive of overtime does not win the game. The other team gets a chance to at least go down and match, but uh, it's still, you know, you've seen in, in some of these games where a team will come out and, hey, listen, they have a huge play. They get like a 70-yard touchdown, and you should be commended for that, but it is still shitty that the other team just yeah. has to go, well, I guess we're done now. Bye. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the professional wrestling and your professional wrestling career. I was thinking about something, and I want to like word this properly so it comes across <laughs> the way the way. No, no, just the the way that in the spirit it's intended, because you kind of came in sort of the same way that I did, and you followed me. Uh, in no, no, no. Let me finish. You followed. No, I'm you you followed me in in doing two different things. The two things that I did, you came after me and did the same things, but you did them so much better than I did. <laughs> well, I thank was, you. Because I, I came into PWA. It wasn't my first like gig in wrestling, but like when I came into PWA, I was the ring announcer, and then I turned heel, and then you came in as ring announcer after me and did it so much better than I did. And then you also turned heel and, beca- and beca- you know did the manager thing, and also, again, 
did it so much better than I did. So I commend you for that. But how did you end up even involved in PW? I just remember like when I, when I, when I flipped and, and went with Tex Gaines, you, you were there and ready to take over. Well, there was, there was one person in between us and we don't need to talk about him because who gives a shit, but there was one ring announcer. There was at least. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the tall monkey there. Um, you okay, I, I, I honestly have no idea who you're referencing, but you can talk about it off the air if you want to. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, I it's not a person I feel like I need to name drop, but that's uh, regardless of the point. But you flip. You yeah, I'm drawing manager, a total blank here. Anyway, and I man, flipped. it was a it was a fellow radio guy. He was doing it. It was someone that I knew from radio school at Nate, and yeah, he, uh, he started doing ring announcing, and then he got a work placement in the radio industry. I believe it was in Lloyd Minster, Lloyd Minster, Fort McMurray, one or the other. And so he was going to be leaving and he had constantly through our time at Nate, try to get all of us to come down and see one of these PWA shows. And to my credit, like, I don't know why I never did. I fucking love wrestling. It was at the school I was paying to go to. I don't know why I never took him up on it, but now all of a sudden it was going to be his last show as a ring announcer. And he really wanted people to come and check it out. And I didn't have anything going on. And he offered me a free ticket. And that's where that's where that was it. That was the line. I crossed over that and I was like, okay, now I'm in. So I go and I watch the show. And it was actually an interaction between so he's doing the ring announcing thing, and I'm I'm enjoying the hell out of the show. It's very entertaining. I've never seen live wrestling before because the, there's no indies up in Hay River in the Northwest Territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm this is my first live wrestling show. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And there's this guy that I know, and he's doing a great job of the ring announcing, and I'm impressed by the whole thing but then i realized that he wasn't trying to get people to come out because he wanted it to be like this big friend friend thing he needed people so he could work an angle and the angle was that he wanted to be written out of the show oh i think i remember did we not drag him outside you and tex games yes jumped in the ring and beat him up and dragged him out the door and and then you you followed did you not well so we were told just before this this happened that he was gonna start getting beaten up and that we should stand up and try and not defend him he was very clear like don't physically get involved but he wanted it to be a bigger spectacle than it probably would have been because, you know, at a regular wrestling show, if the ring announcer starts getting beat up, like, okay, moving on. <laughs> but the guy was a little bit attention starved. He wanted it to be a big deal. So he okay. wanted his friends to jump out of the audience and try to have his back and all that. So we all ended up outside and then ended up somehow going through Gorilla. And that's when Tex Gaines, old stampede dungeon guy, <laughs> spins around and sees me out what the <laughs> fuck are you doing here and and the ring announcer quickly you know smartens him up like no no this is the guys with me blah 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 and uh so that i was remember that I, rem- I remember and i got a terrible memory i i, I like if i ever have to write a book <laughs> or if i ever have to be like somebody interview me about my like history on a podcast i would like have glaring gaps but i do remember Tex and I dragging him out like out that door that goes right outside yeah and then I remember a couple of people I know you were one of them like kind of sticking your head out the door but I don't remember why we did it or anything like that all no, I remember it was a horseshit angle <laughs> it was a horseshit writing out the ring announcer angle it made literally no sense but it was my introduction to the backstage area of PWA I was then introduced to 
Kurt Sorokin. And uh, so we got I'm not chatting familiar a bit. with this Kurt Sorokin fellow. Tell me more about him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that guy. But at the time, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. He's the promoter. And again, here's a stranger in his backstage yeah. area. So he's got some questions. So we get introduced. We get talking. Things are good. And then I sort of, I don't know why. I, in this moment, I just had this thought of like, hey, so you just wrote off your ring announcer. Do you have another one? And he kind of laughed and he was like, well, we had Boris. He's not doing it anymore. We have Dustin, who is another guy who was helping out with the technical stuff at the time. And I think he's the guy who pitched in to fill in as the ring announcer after this other buddy had been written off the show before the show was over. It's like, we got him, but uh, you know, hey, listen, we're always we're always open to uh, new things. And I was like, well, I am a radio guy. I have a bit of a voice. If you need somebody, I love the product. I'll be coming to more shows, but please do let me know. So yeah, it was it was this this like it, it was all so incredibly random. Like I said, like for two full years, I guess I was putting off going to PWA. I never did. Again, I don't know why, but I didn't. And then just in this this random moment of sort of being coerced into <laughs> being part of an angle. All of a sudden I was just like, Oh, right. I kind of love pro wrestling. <laughs> and if it's in my backyard, I would love to be a part of this. And uh, yeah. So I think I went to one more PWA show after that. And I was sitting up with some buddies in the bleachers at Nate. We were the, the bleacher creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and the uh, sound system broke at that show. That's that that that's never happened. What are you talking? Well, about? I know that's not specifying anything because it broke <laughs> at a lot of shows. But in this instance, it broke. And so after watching, I, I probably watching you and Dustin, uh, the the other guy who was doing a lot of the sound stuff at the time, trying to fix it, I kind of popped down from the crowd and was like, "Hey." I don't know why. Like, I didn't go to radio school to be an engineer. I'm a I'm a talk monkey. I don't mm-hmm. don't know what I'm doing, but I felt like I should try and offer my services to try and see if I could fix it, which I didn't. But it got me another <laughs> conversation with Kurt, okay. who said, "Why don't you come to the next show?" Because I think Dustin or whoever it was they had filling in couldn't make the next show. He was like, "Do you own a suit or a suit jacket or something?" I was like, I can put something together. He's like, come to the next show. We'll we'll figure it out. So, yeah, I, I went to one PWA show as an accidental performer, one PWA show as a uh, failed uh, technical engineer. Technical and advisor. Then, and then after that, I was uh, I became the ring announcer for uh, Prairie Wrestling Alliance for I don't even know how long, but uh, I had a bit of a run. So you really paid your dues before you got <laughs> into the shows, man. I mean, that's to be commended. There's a lot of guys that tell their stories of how they broke into the business, and they're all a lot more impressive than mine. <laughs> I trained for a year and a half, and I broke my leg, and I came back stronger than ever. Oh, I, I remember being uh, as the ring announcer. Somebody somebody wanted to to bump me or attack me or something. Some heel wanted to to try and get a little bit of extra heat, and I was like, I don't have any bump training. I don't. 
I don't know how to fall down. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm a radio guy. No one trained me on anything but this microphone. Like, no, you can't hit me. See, but I was the opposite because I was just a giant mark. And I'm not going to lie. I think to to an extent, I still kind of am. And I think everybody who's kind of in the business still is. MRB kind of busts my balls a little bit. But, but I was like, fuck yeah, punch me out. Let's go. Just, you know, it's just, I guess, different philosophies or whatever, but just, you know, I felt happy to be there. And if you want to fuck me up, then fuck me up. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like as things went on and I got an opportunity to start doing stuff, I was really excited for it. It was just in that moment. Oh, you got, you got very physical over the years. (laughs) Well, and, and it wasn't always, it didn't all come after I was trained either. There was definitely some stuff that happened before then, but, uh, yeah, at the time, you know, I was still I I was working uh, doing an internship out for the Bear, the rock station there, and uh, TSN. Well, at the time, Team Twelve Sixty, the sports station, and I, uh, you know, I was still <laughs> taking the bus <laughs> five days a week to get out to the West End of Edmonton from downtown or East End or wherever I was living at the time to uh, to to get out and try and get started on this radio career. So, you know, someone who's who's making you know fifty bucks a hot dog and a handshake yeah. or whatever it is comes up and is like, "Hey, man, I, I know it doesn't really make any sense, and there's no logic behind it, but uh, I bet the the crowd would boo me if I punched you in the back of the head." I just kind of go, ah, "Maybe fuck off." I don't yeah, know. yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry. So during your tenure as uh, the ring announcer, did you ever fuck up? I love fuck up stories. Did you ever fuck uh, anything up? I, I don't think I had any like major fuck ups. The audio definitely stopped working a few times when I was in the ring. And uh, thank God the Nate Jim has uh, acoustics and I'm a loud dude. But I do remember introducing at least one main event without the use of a microphone and <laughs> bellowing in the ring. Now coming to the <laughs> ring. But, Over the years, um, we had many uh, a technical difficulty. I think we've, I mean, it took us almost like 20 years, but I think we've got all that stuff pretty much straightened out now. In the venue we run here at Edmonton, there's a pretty solid sound system. We've got a fancy nice. screen, and then we have a nice sound system for for Calgary that all works. So, I mean, we haven't had to have anybody yell anything uh, for, for a few years now, which is good. I, I feel like you're missing out, if I'm being completely honest. It adds character to the show. I think but, I did uh, that once at the extreme zone, the audio crapped out and I just <laughs> sat there like a shithead screaming, but you know, it's all part well, of it. The- what else are you going to do? Like, I mean, obviously it's cringeworthy. It's not the best thing you can do, but at the time it literally is because the alternative is what American sign language. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you've got to do something to let people know. Cause this isn't WWE. It's not AEW. It's not even impact wrestling or any of these other <laughs> it's programs. Not even impact wrestling. It's not. It's and listen, if you don't think there's a drop off between the first two that I named <laughs> and the third, we can get into that later. But what I'm saying is th- th- this isn't a nationally televised product where people know just by the sight of these people, who they are and, mm-hmm. and have some idea of the storylines. Like, at an indie show, every wrestler needs to be introduced because there's a good chunk of that audience that has no fucking clue who Billy Red Tights over here is. Like, That's a good radio all, name. To some extent. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. They all, to some extent, look roughly the same. It's their character. It's their in-ring work. These yeah. are the things that will eventually flesh them out and make them, you know, take them from the Chucky blazes of the worlds to the MRBs of the world. You know what I mean? But part of that is them being announced and introduced to the crowd so they can go, Oh, okay. 
that's this guy. If I want to yell things at him, now I know something about him. Both of those guys, by the way, severely overrated. <laughs> Just, I mean, not not great. Not great. You know, like, learn to work, kid. Come on now. That's, I mean, you know, I didn't want to be the one to say it, but here well, we are. You see, I took a bullet for you. So I, when... can, I can have Alberta heat. I'm not coming back. <laughs> not now. <laughs> so, so how long did you ring announce before you did the old Healy turn type thing? I don't remember exactly how long it was, but what happened was uh, there was a Halloween show, a PWA Fright Night show. Oh, God bless. And the decision was made. (laughs) How was the graveyard that year? Excellent. Excellent. It was in its early stages. It wasn't wasn't as sprawling as it is these days, but, you know, there was still some prime pieces there. (laughs) But uh, it was uh, it was the. PWA's first foray into what you do so damn well now, which was commentary and DVD production. Okay. And so Thank I you, got by the way. asked, of course, no, I still listen. I, I got rid of a lot of my DVDs because it's 2021. I didn't get rid of any of my PD, PWA DVDs because I'm on them, but also because you do great work. I got asked if I would be interested in teaming up with Phoenix Taylor to mm-hmm. do play-by-play for this event, which meant that I would no longer be ring announcing. And the idea at the time was that this was going to become an every show thing. Every show was going to be filmed with live play-by-play, roaming cameras, all the stuff that we had on loan from Nate, and we were going to start making and selling professional-looking DVDs. And so I said, I would love to do play-by-play. I've always wanted to do play-by-play. I was the kind of guy that grew up idolizing, you know, Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon and all these other guys on play-by-play almost more than the guys in the ring. Mm -hmm. So being offered this, especially as a young broadcaster who doesn't even have his first like full-time on-air job yet, I was just like, like, absolutely. What do you need? Let's make this happen. That's when I officially stepped down as the ring announcer and they hired What About Ivan, who has been there ever since and does a great job. And quite frankly, better than both of us put together. I'm not willing to go that far. Oh, okay. (laughs) You're definitely not coming back to Alberta now. But uh, yeah, so we did the show, me and Phoenix. And I honestly, I had a lot of fun. I thought Phoenix and I had a lot of chemistry. And no one will ever know because I think I might have one of three copies of that DVD because it never was uh, mass produced. I don't believe. I don't think it ever went up for sale. I can't. I know. I, I know that. I know that we. You know that we did some uh, uh, Phoenix Taylor and Michael Avery and myself. Uh, well, like they did all the production and I did the commentary with those guys. I don't know if the one that you did ever. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't I, have any information on that. If you need it for the PWA network, I can I can burn you a copy and send it out west for you. But uh... or you could like digitize it or whatever, because I do uh, I do have the arc. I am the PWA archivist, so to speak. <laughs> but yeah, like it was great. The main event was some big clusterfuck tag cater or not tag, just cage match, multi man cage match, and uh, and and yeah, show went great, but. I don't remember exactly what this, the reasoning was. It was on the technical side that I wasn't privy to. That was the only show that we did for, for a significant period of time before uh, things changed. But that was the only show I ever did full-on play-by-play for, for PWA. But now they had hired <laughs> a ring announcer. 
And Kurt felt like it would be a real dick move to turn around to Ivan, who had done an admirable job at that show for his first show, and be like, hey, you're out. You're, you did great, kid. Uh, anyway, we're going to bring the old guy back. Yeah, kick rocks. Yeah. So uh, in an effort to try and make everyone happy, uh, he wanted to find something else for me to do. And what had happened was it was after a show, might have even been after that show, but uh, a wrestler by the name of Lucas Drago. Uh, uh, had Lucas Drago. Left a bunch of his shit lying around <laughs> and was getting ready to leave. And I went over and I was like, hey, your stuff, like these are your belongings. Pick them up and take them with you. You'll be upset if you don't have them when you get home. And he's like, oh, shit, thanks, man. And he goes over and he collects all of his things. And uh, he made some joke about me being his manager. And I was like, yeah, I'll take care of you, kid. I'll uh, I'll book your (laughs) hotels and your cars and all this other (laughs) 80s nonsense. I'll make sure there's cocaine in the dressing room. And uh, and Kurt overheard this dumbass conversation and was like well what if you did manage him <laughs> and the rest and as they point, say uh, is history yeah at that point uh greg drago and i had become friends in the locker room i mean obviously that's why we're fucking around but uh yeah he was also working for rcw which like now rcw is is a bit of a fighting force out in alberta like i see they've got amazing talent out there and they're doing shows all the time when I was in RCW, <laughs> however, paychecks were not a thing. Uh, <laughs> I once had to actually become uh, Drago's manager and negotiate his pay because in a show uh, where he had worked a main event as the champion, he was offered uh, literally like you always hear like people talk about like a hot dog and a hot handshake. And he a handshake. Was, he yep. was literally offered a chocolate bar. A full size, but of chocolate bar and a DVD that had seven matches on it, three of which were his. Oh, and he came back to the to the dressing room. He's like, this is what I got paid. And I was like, nope, come with me. And I, I went and healed out in the promoter. And I, I mean, I got him like 20 bucks, but it's still anyway. RCW was not a big wheel franchise at the time. Did a lot of small communities, did not run in Edmonton, did not run in Calgary. But it was a great place for guys to get reps in, 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 in that it was, it was almost a feeder for PWA. So, so Kurt put in a call to RCW and said, hey, like you're already booking Drago for some matches down there. I want to run with this guy managing him. Do you mind having him work a few of your shows? And so that's where we started and, and went down there and worked, uh, worked with Drago in a series of matches against <laughs> a group I'm not sure could run anymore these days, but they were the born against Christians, the BAC uh, punishment. My uh, one of my best friends in the world strife and their manager, Alistair dark. And that's where I really got to learn how to be a manager because there was at any given time, eight to 15 people in those crowds. Yeah. yeah. And if you can pop eight people in an eight person crowd, because most people at a wrestling show, whether it's an indie show or an arena show or a stadium show, you get swept up in it around you. It's the same as going to like a comedy movie at a movie theater. You laugh way harder in the theater than you do when you're watching it by yourself at mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. because you're surrounded by other people and they're laughing and it's infectious and that energy carries out. It's the same at a wrestling show. When there's fucking eight people in the crowd, no one wants to make any noise because everyone's going to hear you. Yeah, you, you don't want to be that hide guy. in an eight-person crowd. Yeah, 
So if you can pop, like it sounds fucking stupid, but if you can pop eight people, you can make it anywhere. You got something. So, (laughs) you know, we would go out and we were trying to pop each other. We were trying to pop the crowd. We were, uh, you know, the guys who were wrestling were still getting their reps in and learning and and growing in that craft. For me and Alistair Dark, we're on the outside. We're learning, you know, little things like where should I be standing so that I'm not blocking the view of eight people today? Or Mm -hmm. when should I be getting involved in a match? Uh, What should I be doing in terms of interacting with the referee, with each other? Like, you know, I think one of the first shows we worked, we just spent the whole time like shouting shit at each other. And we got to the back and, and the guys were kind of like, hey, like, you guys are good, but shut the fuck up. We'd like people to look at us every <laughs> yeah, now and again. Yeah. You know, the guys in here are breaking our backs. So, yeah, like, you know, I, I make jokes about RCW and what it was, but without it, I don't know that I ever would have had any kind of success because it was only because I got to go out there and work with different people and try different things. And I mean, Jesus, you go out and try something and it just goes absolutely miserably. Okay. Well, I burned the town for six people, but I'm sure we'll survive till next month. (laughs) (laughs) And, and all that said, like after a while, uh, Kurt got to sort of see what we were doing and he liked it. And he was like, all right, we're, we're bringing you up to the big stage. And, so me and Drago started working uh, some of the, you know, the, we were, we were curtain jerking for sure. Like we weren't main eventing or nothing, but yeah, we started working, you know, first match here, second match here for, uh, for the actual PWA cards, which was pretty cool. And those spots are important. Those curtain jerker matches are definitely can, can set the tone for the night. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, we were trying to put ourselves over like Drago had a big, like, I think what he was a Russian monster at first, which is why his name was Drago, but then they changed it to Lucas Drago and he become a playboy model. Cause he's a good looking kid. Don't get me wrong. And it didn't hurt that he was like six, eight, whatever it was. Do you remember that uh, one promo pick that he had? Oh, I remember all of them. Absolutely. <laughs> I took half of them. For he this. had one specific promo pick that was a little extra uh, windowless, oh. windowless van. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like didn't want to remember that so (laughs) so where did the the esteemed drew dolby come from who coined that term because that really caught on i think the the phrase the esteemed drew dolby i think that came from kurt uh and i mean you know kurt's awkward and i mean that in the most you know the most loving way but he he's that guy that has like a big introduction whenever he sees somebody and for every single person right so as you're walking into the building no matter who you are top of the card bottom of the card referee someone who's just helping put the ring together he's going to make it a deal that you're there and hello and that's awesome like it's really refreshing you meet a lot of promoters and other people in the world that don't treat people that way Mm -hmm. uh but you know i think it was there was a handful of times that he just got it in his head as i would walk in because i was working for the big radio station even though i was super behind the scenes Mm -hmm. i would come into the building you'd be like well if it isn't the esteemed drew dalby (laughs) So then all of a sudden, like we, we started hashing out kind of what this, this manager character would be when, before I started doing RCW, when we made the decision that we were going to try this and I, you know, the, I was a broke ass radio intern. So I had this kind of suit jackety thing. The only thing I really had, I couldn't afford to go out and get gear or anything. So we sort of decided that we wanted to go almost the Paul Heyman route of uh, not necessarily an advocate, but the idea, the original idea was that it would be like a sports agent. I was like going to say almost school. like a, like an agent. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who was going to 
book your car, book your hotel, book your matches. Hey, I got you three fights with the PWA kid. We're going to the top and all that shit. And I don't know that that character ever really fleshed itself out as it just sort of defaulted to like, well, this guy's a dickhead. <laughs> but I mean, super- you had the, you had the business card gimmick, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I had a buddy who knew how to Photoshop, do up some uh, business cards for me, got them printed and, I was dumb because I got them laminated and then nobody could rip them up because what a great baby face spot to be able to rip up the heels business card. But no, I fucking laminated them because I was like, well, I don't want them to get broken. Have you ever been to <laughs> Vegas? Uh, no, I've never been to Vegas. Okay. Cause like in Vegas, they have uh, these guys that stand by the side of the road on the strip with these business cards for 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 ladies that you can hire for the escort you know. flyers yeah sure. well i was trying to be classy about it and they would like flip, i don't have that problem they would kind of they would kind of like click these cards and like make this sound and i always thought that you'd be like a good escort card guy <laughs> if you ever you know if you come across hard times in radio hard times daddy <laughs> anyway team esteem. yeah this yeah, is where so... team esteem came from well, yeah, that's so he called me the esteemed Drew Dalby. And again, now we're going to go with this this sports agent, this, you know, suit wearing uppity looking mouthy prick who's uh, behind the scenes, but gets involved. And I just I really liked that. I was kind like, of overqualified for that a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why not run with this? And then uh, uh, the, the problem is, is early in our heel run with Drago and I, uh, he got hurt. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> he got he, he did he, he well it wasn't badly. it wasn't no it wasn't the back injury because oh, that's no? what put him on the shelf and then that was like the end of our working thing because he couldn't wrestle okay for a got, very long time yeah he got put into a match with juggernaut who western wrestling canadian wrestling fans should know the name mm-hmm. and somebody else i can't remember who but it was two vets and they beat the shit out of him and i'm mm-hmm. on the outside and like, there's nothing I can do, but they were, I don't want to say they were taking liberties, but they were certainly having their fun at the expense of the, the rookie of the right? young kid. Yeah. And they beat the fuck out of him. But then they kept telling him like, Hey, you got to get up, got to get up. You got to take another chair shot. Got to take another body slam. Got to take another pile driver. So they were just fucking around and having fun. And he's having the worst fucking night of his life. And I'm lost on the outside because I don't, we're not the, even the biggest heels in the match. I think that was Jug at the time. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm terrified that if I go too close, that I'm going to get fucking destroyed. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the action in the ring makes no sense. But to the fans, here was this, this super tall, jacked up local guy who was getting fucking pummeled and kept getting back up. Like, if that isn't the fucking Rocky story right yeah. there. So he gets blasted with a chair shot and the whole crowd goes, oh, and then, you know, someone stands over and says, all right, kid, get back up. And he gets back up and they're like, holy shit, how is he still alive? And all of a sudden we're baby faces. <laughs> and yep. that was never the intention. No. And and he could make it work, right? He's a good looking kid who could wrestle cool, uh, tall guy, big guy stuff. Sort of. Uh, so So he could make it work. But the fans still wanted to yell at me. They wanted to yell at me when I was the ring announcer. Yeah, you don't fit in that equation anymore. I used to wear T-shirts from the radio station I worked at while I was doing the ring announcing because I thought it would give me some credibility 
And I accidentally heel turned as a ring announcer because everybody thought that I was flexing on them, that I worked for the bear. Like, oh, <laughs> look at big shot radio. I'm like, I make $9 an hour giving out stickers, brother. I'm not flexing here. I still got some of those t-shirts around here. I should do some flexing <laughs> on my own. But we, we turned it into a thing. So that's the thing is like, they wanted to boo me, but they wanted to cheer him. So it became a problem having the two of us out there together and so that's when Team Esteem was born in that they moved me away from Drago uh, and started kind of a feud there by putting me with uh, some of the other guys. who was uh, Johnny Handsome uh, mm-hmm. was, uh, was one of the guys. Um, I'm trying to think of what the original Chris Steele no, was, say was, Steel was in there. He was like probably the biggest uh, member, uh, not size wise, but just like in terms of importance, he was the biggest member for mm-hmm a good length of the, the run of team is team. He would eventually be replaced, but we'll get to that. Uh, the Highlander. Remember the Highlander? I love the Highlander. He was a member of team Esteem for a couple weeks. <laughs> Pretty solid <laughs> roster. Yeah. Yeah. Before he got, uh, I think he got deported temporarily or yep. something like that. So that's yep. when we lost him. Brady Roberts was on the team for a little bit. Teddy Hart was a one-time member of team Esteem in the early run. I don't know. That if was we're a legally, lot of fun. I don't know if we're legally allowed to mention him. He just, yeah, it was great. Uh, he was standing on the apron and someone yelled at you. I was managing him. I had introduced him. It was when Highlander got deported and we needed someone to fill in because we were tag champs at the time. Yeah. And he's standing on the apron and I'm cheering him on. Yes, I brought in Teddy Hart. What a genius manager I am. This is going well. <laughs> someone in the crowd says, Ted, I can't believe you inside with Dolby. He's such a bad person. And I turn around and I say, hey, you sit down. You shut your mouth. Typical nonsense. Yeah. And Teddy turns around like, yeah, tell him, Ted. And Ted looks out of the crowd and goes, I just want to let everybody know that I don't really know who this guy is. We haven't really talked. There's no paperwork that's been signed. This is a one-time test trial deal. I think you're right. I think he is kind of a germ. Like, I'm standing there like, what the fuck? Yep. Thanks, Ted. Good work, Sir? buddy. Sir, why? What are you doing? <laughs> My wife loved his boots, so, you know, I couldn't yell at him. No. <laughs> he had great oh, boots. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> but that was the early team esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we would, you know, again, we it, Chris Steele was the, the, the linchpin. He was the guy that sort of held the group together, me and him. And then guys would come into the group or they would go out of the group, depending on like uh, Handsome stopped wrestling for a little while. So we lost him. Highlander got deported for a while. If I recall correctly, Brady Roberts was our cruiserweight champion, and then he quit the company to start his own company, which then led to my cruiserweight title reign, which is still one of my favorite memories in wrestling. Yeah, that's good stuff. We we had a lot of flux with the group, but it was it was me and it was Ty Chris Steele, and that's you know that's the team esteem for that era. Mm-hmm. All right, we are going to cut to your first track now. For those of you who may be living in Kingston, Ontario, and this is the first time you've heard the uh, the Punk and Powderverse podcast, I have my my guests, my friends, pick uh, a couple of songs that uh, that they like or that means something to them, and we feature those. I don't know if this is like the best name for for what this project has become because originally it was just going to be me talking <laughs> and playing songs that I like, but it's kind of morphed into this new format where I have the guests pick the songs, which I think is kind of cool. And a lot of them have said that they really like it because they get a chance to, you know, talk about music and stuff they like. But this is what it's fucking called, and that's what it's going to be called. Anyway. (laughs) Branding, motherfucker. I just argued with myself there. And I won. I went over. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so your first uh, track is by a band called The Whale and the Wolf, which yeah. you are friendly with a gentleman in this band, and I, I, I know him a little bit as well. Uh, talk about this band and talk about this track. Uh, these, I mean, these guys are just so talented. When you told me, I mean, it's funny, you know, you asked me if I wanted to be on Punk and Pile Drivers, and the first thing I asked you was like, so I got to pick punk songs? And I was willing to do it. I just want to be on record. I was ready to try and stay in the format here, to stay on brand. I used to own some Punkarama albums when I was a youth. <laughs> so no, I, I, want, I want stuff that, that you're into, stuff that you're yeah. passionate about. That's what, well, I, that's, that's what everybody says. They're like, does it have to be punk songs? I'm like, no, whatever that's you're the problem. into. You took the leash off. So now I get to do whatever I want. And it was an easy no-brainer. If I'm going to pick two songs, one of them is going to be uh, this song by Whale and the Wolf, because I will take at any opportunity the chance to sell this band because I they are one of my absolute favorite bands. I think they deserve so much more attention than they're getting. I think they were really on their, their way to getting that attention. And then there was this uh, this this COVID thing that happened. So, you know, that has obviously put a damper on the momentum of a lot of uh, touring projects, both in wrestling and music and everywhere else. But do you have the uh, the Unicron yet or the Omicron or the Almos or whatever it's called? Oh, the the, the uh, Omicron Percy I-8 from Futurama. Yeah, it's in Ottawa, but it's not here yet. Apparently, I don't know who. I, I saw on the social media there might be a case in Alberta as well. So, I mean, exciting, very you know, exciting. Yeah, we're, we're done for. I uh, I, I will take uh, the opportunity in any given time to just tell people like you should listen to this band because they're so fantastic. They're so talented. The lead singer, fella named Ryan Meyer, just one of the best, most unique and interesting and like captivating vocals that I've heard in, in such a long time. And then the rest of the guys in the band, like they're all just such, such talented dudes. They're such good people too, which it's always, you know, from from wrestling and from anything it's mm-hmm. so much easier to root for someone to succeed when they're not a fucking knob like yeah we- every like i i worked in in that bell media building for a little bit as well yeah. and every time i'd pop in there i'm i always just the sweetest dude always had a hey boris how you doing have a chat always just like a, just the positivity just radiated from that dude so all the best wishes for for this band and for him for sure absolutely so yeah again you you tell me i can pick any song that i want I'm going to pick from their uh, discography. I I pondered on going uh, with a song that they have called Man is a Wolf because it was actually at one point during my Saskatchewan pro wrestling career, my entrance music. But uh, I decided to go with something a little bit more current. It's not their most recent single, but it is their second most recent single. It's Veins by Whale and the Wolf on the Punk and Piledrivers podcast. I've got something under my skin. Itch won't go away It's my original sin The poison that I crave Come along for the ride I'd make you feel better
not something to fuck with Such an intoxicating blend Of born again approaching end Come along for the ride I'd make you feel better Said goodbye to Mr. Hyde But then I drank from you again on the Punk and Pot Overs podcast with the esteemed Drew Dalby. Um, one of my favorite street team gigs that I had when I worked for Bell Media was um, Taste of Edmonton. Okay, so, oh, there's, yeah. so there's food. Yeah, I, I, no, it totally makes sense. I'm putting these pieces together quick here. Uh, the opening <laughs> band was Will and the Wolf. Yeah, I and remember the, that. I wasn't there, but I remember hearing about it. And the headliner was my favorite band, which is Sloan. And then uh, right. Pam, Pam Kirby and I, you know, went backstage to hang out. So I got paid to hang out with my favorite band that night. Not a lot, <laughs> but still, that's a pretty sweet gig as far as I'm concerned. I honestly like that's uh, I, I'm on record saying it numerous times. Radio is the best job in the entire world. You get to do so many cool things, even in the entry level positions of street team. Like I remember the woman I, I would eventually go on to marry and have two children with uh, our first date was I was working at for the bear on their street team at a festival called Boonstock, which is oh, had its time in the sun and the shade and is now no longer a thing. But this was the very first one. And uh, we wanted to hang out. And I was like, well, listen, I'm working this festival today. I could probably get you in this total shit ball. You're flexing a little bit. <laughs> there. I was absolutely flexing. Luckily she put up with it. She came we ended up getting to go backstage and hang out with uh, Priestess, who was the headlining band at the time, which is another band that doesn't exist anymore. I was which say, is sad. Who, the, who the fuck is that? At the time, man, they were fucking awesome and they were blowing up big and there was some CanCon there. They were awesome. But now they don't exist anymore. <laughs> That's besides the point. Fair, fair enough. Uh, All right. But yeah, like you just you get to do uh, really cool things in this wacky fucking industry of radio. 
All right. So I want to kind of put your wrestling career on a bit of a fast forward because there's a whole bunch of things that that I want to talk to you about that are non-wrestling things. So I just I want to <laughs> quickly just kind of so that there was the second kind of team esteem where you hooked up with a man that you and I both uh, love and respect dearly. And that's Andy Anderson. Yes. Well, so the first run ended because I was moving away. I was finally uh, making moves to try and pursue my radio career. I was leaving Edmonton and this wasn't like moving just down the road where, Oh, you can just pay my gas money and I can keep coming to shows. I was moving to Vancouver Island in British Columbia. That was it. I was retiring from wrestling. Uh, and I, I, I mean, a hell of a way to go out to PWA brought in Mick Foley as the special guest enforcer uh, to counter my awful cheating ways as I was managing Chris Steele in his epic feud over, I believe it was over the May- PWA Mayhem title against Ravenous Randy Myers, who is just someone I have the utmost respect for. And I had so much fun in that feud that spanned over months and months and months. And, and now here we are, we're at the casino and it's the blow off match and the main event of the night. And Mick fucking Foley is standing six feet away from me. And he's like solely interacting with me because that's the gimmick he's there to play is to stop me from being a dickhead. My God. And then, you know, after the match, we, we lose, I get punched out by Mick Foley. I get fired from the PWA. My own stable turns on me at that time. Who was in there? Is it Dan, Dan Myers and Tyler breeze at the time, Matthias wild. He was one of my, charges they all came out and beat the shit out of me and i know it sounds like i'm describing an awful night but my god i'll remember it with love for the rest of my life of course and i'm dragged out of the casino by security and and it should have ended there <laughs> i mean when you describe it out loud mm-hmm. why the fuck did i ever come back to wrestling but it's eventually my i believe a, i believe a young uh sheik akbar shabazz was one of the securities that dragged you out that night was it probably not? <laughs> i was his first match by the way oh. i don't know if everybody remembers this but there was a point in my early team esteem run the nate run the the the, the chris Steele run where i we were building up this gimmick where i had become so delusional because we were winning all these matches as a group that I had become drunk with power and started doing my own open challenge. And I would come out and it, it, the idea behind it was I was dressed the way someone who's never been in a fight would dress for a oh, fight. Oh, I think he told this story when he was on the show. And you, <laughs> I was like, wearing you, you like picked affliction you had, shit. Yeah, and you had UFC like the gloves, gloves and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was wearing sprawl shorts and amateur wrestling <laughs> shoes and fucking volleyball knee pads. Uh, I just, I like most guys when they're putting gear together, they're looking for something cool. And I went the exact opposite. I, uh, the only thing that I couldn't find that I wanted was amateur wrestling headgear a la Kurt Angle's wig. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? That but other, like, I went out of my way to try and look as silly as possible. And I still had people like in the locker room pulling me aside and being like, bro, you're fucking embarrassing yourself. Like, go get real gear. You can't just be playing cosplay. And I'm like, no, that's the fucking gimmick is cosplay. <laughs> the whole idea is that I'm not a wrestler. And I would go out and I think my first match that I ever did ended up being against a guy who we had working security and I beat him up. But then it was the second esteemed open challenge and uh, Sheik Akbar Shabazz was supposed to have gear he was getting into wrestling he was he'd been doing the training he was ready to make an under uh, under a mask debut 
and his gear didn't arrive. And we're at the show and I'm like, well, fuck, man, I'm supposed to like, we're up. Like, what are we doing? And it was somebody else. I can't remember. I have a thought as to who it was, but I'm not going to drop names in case I'm wrong. But somebody in the locker room pulled out this spandex sparkly fucking purple outfit. that was like a full on gimp gimmick. It was like, you could try this on. Oh, boy. And he put it on and it fit. Almost entirely, except, you know, she has always had a big, broad chest. And that was the last thing. He couldn't get the zipper up across his pecs. So he came out in this full body mask spandex gimmick, but with his chest exposed to the world. And I believe it was Phoenix Taylor who coined the name El Lugador because yep. he looked like he was yep. wearing a luge outfit. Mm-hmm. And he was the, the fastest wrestler on ice. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and I beat him. So, you know, all the stuff that he's so. gone on. Yeah. All the stuff that he's gone on to do since then, all the titles, all the championships, all the success. I want to know against Sheikh Bar Shabazz. So let's let that be on the record. All right. But I moved away and then I pursued my radio career. I was up in Northern BC. I finally got my first on-air job doing a morning show there. I was there for about a year. And then I got a call from a radio station in Lloyd Minster uh, on the Alberta side, but my apartment was on the Saskatchewan side. And all of a sudden, now I'm back in, in Alberta and I'm, I'm, two mu- I'm two hours away and I get the call from Kurt after I've been there for a bit going, so when are you coming back? And at that point, Chris Steele had been uh, thrust into a babyface role after he beat the shit out of me at the end of my retirement <laughs> night. So I couldn't come back and manage him. I'd actually, Kurt had brought me back once from BC. God bless him because that trans bill was fucking expensive yeah that was but not he cheap. brought me out to, to manage a fellow named scotty mack who's a big vancouver name mm-hmm. against this baby face chris Steele, and basically it was 15 minutes of scotty mack watching chris Steele beat the shit out of me <laughs> and the crowd loved it so who are we to say it was wrong but yeah i was like well what am i gonna do like all the guys i managed are either gone or baby faces like what do you want me to do and he said i got a guy I got to talk to him as to see as to whether or not he wants a manager. He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how it was sold to me. And I was like, who the fuck are we bringing in? What was Cause I hadn't been around. I didn't know who was there. I didn't know who was around. And finally I got the call from Kurt. That was like, Hey, we got a show in a couple of weeks. I talked to the guy he's on board. His name is Andy. I'll introduce you when he gets here. Uh, trust me. I think this, this is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be good. And that's how I met Andy Anderson. And uh, when I had his credentials explained to me as to all the places he had wrestled and all the things he had done, I remember my first question was, this fucking guy doesn't need me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But he understands business, you know? Well, that's just it. Like, this guy, Andy, could cut a promo. No problem. He didn't Eh, need me as his mouthpiece. He's not that good. (laughs) <laughs> I know you two got a thing and I'll leave that for you two. But in my esteemed opinion, he had all the tools and he had used all the tools literally all around the world. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out what the hell I was supposed to do. But that was kind of the fun of it was because now it was it was a very uh, a Paul Heyman kind of thing. Like Paul Heyman used to come out with Brock Lesnar and he had to do all the work except the fighting. 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it was like with me, with Chris Steele, with Johnny Hanson, with all these other guys who are great guys and great workers. But, you know, I had to carry a lot of the water in that. And now Paul Heyman's doing his thing. With I Roman see what Reigns, you I see what you did there. And they're more presented as equals. He is more of a, a, a tool in the arsenal of the wrestler as opposed to the face of the wrestler. Uh, you know, Roman Reigns can handle himself and does handle himself. And that was such an interesting dynamic because we could go out there and I could get on the microphone and I could do all of my bullshit and the crowd would be like, ah, I fucking hate this guy. And then I would just hand the microphone on to Andy and he would also do his bullshit. And they would like, we fucking hate this guy too. Yeah. And some of the reactions that we got, oh my God, man, I've never had so much fun getting people angry. <laughs> as I did with Andy Anderson. No, you guys had a great thing going. And you led him to his uh, first PWA championship, if I'm correct. That's right, yeah, which I believe was in a cage match against... Dylan Knight, I believe it was. Dylan Knight, that's right. Yes, we got into the feud with Dylan. And and we rebuilt Team Esteem, right? So it was me and Andy. Instead of it, like, me is the top and then trickle down from there... Me and Andy were at the top, and then we had uh, William Saint was in there. Striker, I think, was on a tag team with somebody else who I can't remember now. And 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 yeah, we just all Chase, Chase, Chase Patrick and Kenny that Striker. Yeah, that was it. And yeah, we all just bum rushed the ring, and uh, and we stole the belt. And Andy Anderson was the champ, and uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Because he started giving title matches to guys who you wouldn't expect to necessarily see at the top of the card because mm. PWA was at a point where they needed to build a few new people. Yeah. And I can remember being out there doing main event title matches uh, with Andy against guys like Brody Malibu, you know, and like mm-hmm. nothing against that guy. He was just a nice guy from everything I remember, but that was not your main event guy. And that was a fucking hell of a match. I think they went 20 minutes or but something. Yeah, like but yeah, but Andy could t- I mean, Andy could take anybody and have a hell of a match. And that's part of the of the greatness of that whole thing is that you can make that feel like a main event. And 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 then on top of that, like getting to sit and talk to him in the back and just sort of picking his brain about like, hey, I had an idea. Cause I'm bad for that. Like I know that I don't have the physical tools to be a full-time professional wrestler. God has not handed me that specific set of genetics but i've always thought that i do have a decent brain for wrestling Mm -hmm. and i love watching it and sort of uh, interpreting and coming up with like "Ooh, that move reminds me what if someone did this this?" i just uh, literally was watching survivor series messaging guys like sean moore and el reverso on like twitter just being like, hey, I know I haven't talked to you in six months, but here's a move if you ever need something for a match. <laughs> because that's how my brain works. So getting to sort of run those things by someone like Andy Anderson, who just has so much experience and knowledge and has seen what works and what doesn't and what draws money and what's a stupid idea. And he you know, he was never rude about it, but he also never had a problem telling me or the other guys that were in our group that's not a good idea. That's not a good plan. You shouldn't do that. Like I remember him coming up striker and Patrick were putting a match together and I just kind of like popped my head and like, okay, I'll see you guys out there. Do you need me for anything? Oh yeah. We got this thing, this thing where you're going to do this, this, this. And Andy was walking by and he's like, Dolby's in my match. He won't be doing any of that stuff. He will be standing at ringside. Mm -hmm. Enjoy his company. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
almost pulling my arm down the hallway. And I'm just like, Wee! but it's the right call though. <laughs> he was right about everything. And when he explained it, like the guys kind of got upset and they came back like, what the fuck, man? Okay. So here's this, this, this. And all of a sudden everybody yeah. just got a free education because yeah. the man's brilliant. Yeah. All right. Before uh, we get to your second track, I have two words for you, my friend. Uh Oh, water and towels. <laughs> You know, like, listen, I was an indie wrestling manager in Edmonton and Calgary. I don't think that there are people who are actively recalling my time in the ring. Like, maybe they're listening to this and they're going like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. You know, he did some funny stuff, whatever. But if someone was going to look back at my wrestling career and the things that I did, one of my absolute favorite runs was the water and towels run where you and I, after years of feuding against one another, became allies. But it was it was done in such a good way, too, because I remember, I don't it's so long ago, but I remember there was a big promo where I, I got up in your face and I was ready to just give it to you and tell you all the things that I'm finally going to tell you what's really on my mind. Oh, you came and in and you were I like, paused yeah, and I was like, you got to give me a job, man. You got to have a spot for me. <laughs> and then you were like, what could you possibly do? And I literally got out of the ring. I ran to the back and I came back with a towel water and a towels. bottle of water. And I was like, water oh. and towels. I think it was Kurt's idea. I might be wrong, but I think it might've been Kurt's idea, oh. but I was like, water and towels. And water and towels, baby. We had fun with that. Cause I'd come out to the ring and I'd be like toweling off the guy's heads and shit. Yeah. And I remember one time you got caned in the ass and I was wiping your ass with a towel. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that. That was, that was good times. <clears throat> Yeah, that was it. Was it basically how we started off this podcast? Is how you started off your promo, except in a more aggressive way of like, I was here doing this, and then you came in and you thought you were better than me, and then I started doing this, and you started doing it, you thought you were better than me. And because we'd had those feuds with yeah, Tex and Drago, and Drago, mm -hmm. I think, ended up going over. And me and you, I, I think at some point, it felt like we were building to something between me and you, and then I don't know why, but it never ended up happening. And then I got sort of that push up here. And then you kind of, not that you got deep push, but you started doing a lot more of the behind the scenes stuff. Well, what happened was uh, Tex broke his leg. Yes, that's and, right. And for whatever reason, and I don't really know why, Kurt never really put me with anybody. They tried me with um, with the one guy that I did for a couple of matches. and T-Bone. And no, no, I, I did. I think I was with T-Bone one time and then with somebody else that I don't want to mention by name another another time. Fair. And and then, yeah, just he, I never really got put with anybody else. And that's how or why I ended up teaching myself Photoshop and teaching myself right. how to video edit and all that kind of stuff, because I'm like, well, this is my life now. And luckily I, I found and again, I don't like to toot my own horn about things, but I found my home doing the commentary. And I think that's what mm -hmm. I'm like. I don't think I was ever really a great manager um but I, I i think i've really found my spot but man that water and towels thing was a lot of fun well so that's just it like you're, you're just giving me these gears because now you you've got it in your head you wanted to come back and and god I, I loved working with you so i was like yes let's do this but we talked it out we had our ideas but i didn't know how it was gonna go and i remember standing in that ring and and, and hitting you with that line like what are you possibly gonna bring to team esteem and all of a sudden you run out of the ring and I don't think I was privy that that was going to happen. And I looked oh, really? over it at, at uh, I think breeze was out there at the time and, yeah. and somebody else. And I looked over like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on guys? And you come back through the curtain, water and towels. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm in the middle of the ring 
and I have nothing to cover up my face as I'm trying not to laugh right now. And I went out and I bought one of those things that you see like the minor hockey league guys have where they can the carry like six water like the bottles. Holster, yeah, yes. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, <laughs> before we go to, to your second track, I just want to talk about two specific things really quick. Yeah. Um, the first one is you are part of, or you've cut one of my, I don't know if you even remember this, but one of my favorite promos not in ring, but on video. And I don't remember if I was in the room or if I shot it. I can't remember. But it was after you did some work with Abyss. And you took a oh. choke slam on some thumbtacks. And you had one stuck in your head. And you yeah. were like, before I pull this out of my head, I want to do a promo. And there, I think, this I, was, think uh, I did. I today think is I, the anniversary of that. As we're recording really? this, let me just, I've got Facebook here. Let me just pop this up. Because I'm pretty sure this morning when I was looking on the old memories, yeah, there I am getting full on urinagied into a pile of goddamn thumbtacks. And I remember, I, th- I think I did film it. I wonder if I have that somewhere. 13 years ago today. Well, probably yesterday. These pictures tend to, to make their way online the day after. Yeah, so yeah it's but 13 you, like, years yesterday. You caught this promo all just, just talking shit about Abyss and how he better not show his face around here. And you pulled this, and we like I zoomed in on the tack in your head and then you, you pulled it out of your head and you're like, this is going to end up in your body. It was fucking awesome. I just remember that promo being really awesome. I do. I, I remember the adrenaline rush of like bouncing into the pile of tax and knowing as I lay there that it sucked, but not feeling it because again, in that moment, you're kind of impervious. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming back through the curtain and you were there with a the camera and you were like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And you were the one that told me I had a tack in my head. And I, and yeah, my first thought, like, what a fucking weird brain. Let's go shoot a promo yeah, before that's... I take it out. <laughs> but yeah, that was good. I should see if I still have that. I'd and love I'm, to see it if you and, do. And I'm going to tell you something now that I've never told you before. What's that? You, in your first run uh, during Team Esteem, you had your head shaved. By Brutus the Barber Beefcake. The Barber. Yes. And I've never told you this. But I was so fucking jealous. Not jealous, like <laughs> angry at you. I, there was never, right. any, it, was, it wasn't animosity jealous. It was more just like, <laughs> fuck, I wish that was me. I was so, like, I was excited for you, but fuck, I was green with envy. Well, and that was such a random thing, too, because the match was, well, the match was uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake against uh, uh, Hannibal, Dev Nichols. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the plan was for Hannibal to get his head shaved. Like, why would you work <laughs> Brutus the Barber Beefcake if you weren't going to get your head shaved? Mm-hmm. And he had long, thick black hair. And I think at some point, someone told like, hey, you know, if you're working Beefcake, you got to do the thing. And he was like, fuck no. And you didn't have a lot of hair, did you? I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm fucking balding <laughs> now for sure. But even at the time as a spry 25 year old or whatever it was, I didn't have a ton of hair. But I do remember getting the call and being like, hey, we want you to manage Hannibal and this is the thing and this is going to happen. And I started letting my hair grow out just so that there was some yeah. substance uh, for it to, to shave. And I remember uh, I did not. This was at a time in my run where pe- people had figured out who my wife was. She came to all the shows mm-hmm. and they would look to her because she would get re- really nervous when she knew something was going to happen to me. And, uh, and so they would look to her and it almost became like a cheat. They knew something was coming if she looked nervous. So I didn't smarten her up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was getting my head shaved 
And at no point did she put two and two together that the man's name was the fucking barber. <laughs> and I, man, like I, you know, I got slammed into tax. I got thrown off of ladders. I was mm-hmm. in a cage match where I got my head busted open. I did a lot of stuff in my, you know, limited wrestling career. And I have never gotten as much shit on the drive home as the day I got really the haircut was the thing. Hey, that was the deal breaker. You know, I don't know why, but that was it. (laughs) All right. I got a bunch of other stuff that I want to ask you about, but we're going to cut to your second track right now. This is a track by the Dave Matthews band. Uh, uh, Tell me about it. Well, this is one that's a little bit special and it should sound familiar to you. Um, my wife is the one that it, really it, introduced it me. It does. I wanted to I wanted to let you kind of do your thing. Yeah. She was the one that introduced me to the Dave Matthews band. Not that I hadn't heard of Dave Matthews before that, but I hadn't really given it a lot of listen time. And it was one of her favorite. He's one of her favorite artists. And so in our time together, we did listen to a lot of Dave Matthews bands to the point where at our wedding, I uh, snuck away with our MC uh, and he happened to know how to play the guitar and we practiced this song and I uh, went back out and uh, she didn't know what was happening. And I I didn't know her by singing this song. Uh, No, we didn't tell anybody. And actually it kind of backfired because we didn't tell, we didn't tell literally anybody. It was me and the MC that knew that this was going to happen. And uh, because nobody knew, uh, my wife's dad, my father-in-law, Jeff, who is a great guy and also a huge Dave Matthews band fan. We had run out of ice at our reception and he volunteered to go get some, oh, no some way. at the exact moment. And so he missed it all uh, because he didn't, because nobody knew that it was happening. So, mm-hmm. but I, uh, yeah, I sang this song to my wife at our wedding and it sort of became our song. I have uh, some of the lyrics actually tattooed on my arm and, Sadly, my wife uh, did uh, pass uh, from breast cancer about two years ago. And I, I say that not to try and bring down the mood or anything, but uh, honestly, is an opportunity to say, if you, are, if you are one of the seven females listening to this program, uh, please, you know, get checked out, take care of yourself. Uh, if you are in a position where you can donate to any of the, uh, the, the, the effective breast cancer charities, not the ones who trademark the color pink and mm-hmm. just try and take everybody's money, but the yeah. ones that are actually putting in the time and the work and the research to extend care and extend life for people who are fighting this awful disease, please do so. But I mean, yeah, if I get a chance to pick songs, uh, I'm definitely going to pick Angel by the Dave Matthews Band uh, for my wife, Nicole. Uh, she deserves to be mentioned. She deserves to be celebrated. Just an absolute sweetheart, wonderful person. Um, so yeah, this is Angel. This is the Dave Matthews Band on the Punk and Proud of His Podcast. Call you up. You pick up. You call my bluff. On the car to love. You hold too close. Your head.
Uh, Angel, that is the Dave Matthews Band on the Punk and Powderverse podcast with the esteemed <laughs> Mr. Drew Dalby. Now let's talk there's, about something. There's something just, I don't want you to glaze past because there's really something beautiful about coming out of Dave Matthews Band on the Punk and Pile Drivers podcast. <laughs> I know we already talked about this earlier, but that was just mwah. I love that. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, let's talk about something that that's that's kind of near and dear to me as well, and of course it is to you, and that is the the radio business. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about how it has because I talked a little bit about this a little bit with uh, Warren Barris when he was on as well. In this age of the, the this COVID thing that you might have heard about. Uh, he talked a little bit about how kind of the media has become by certain sectors of the public, the media has become vilified a little bit. Have you experienced anything like that? Even just as like a, a rock and roll morning DJ, have you experienced any kind of backlash or people accusing you of things that you are clearly not guilty of? I mean, listen, if I actually had all the money that people think that I'm getting from Bill Gates and George Soros, I would have my own floating island somewhere in space for fuck's sake. Like I, it's just such an irrational thing that people think, you know, at some point, Justin Trudeau put a bunch of money into the CBC and now people think that that's some sort of bribe and that everybody in the CBC and everybody by extension in the media and in journalism is paid off and we're all stooges for the liberal government and, and Fauci down in the States and the world health organization. And it's fucking exhausting <laughs> but i mean honestly it's it's to a point now and this was uh so i do a show the brock and dolby show with my my best friend and my co-host brock lewis and we've been working together for about well it's it's almost two years now we started in january of 2020 and one of the things that we talked about as things got into the pandemic was that we were going to give the pertinent information at, at relevant points Wherein if there was a major change in rules, restrictions, vaccines, whatever, we're obviously not going to ignore this because it's the biggest thing happening in the world. Mm -hmm. But after doing, you know, in that that early time of, of COVID, where your whole show would become in some fashion or another related to talking about it. And like I say, just it's fucking exhausting and mm -hmm. it's it's too much and people aren't looking to have that i mean it's already bad enough that anywhere you go that's news driven it's all about the coronavirus it's all about covid19 you go on social media and everybody's arguing over every last goddamn thing we decided at one point like we weren't going to shy away from being educational where we could but we were also going to be a place where like if you just needed 15 minutes to turn your fucking brain off and not hear about this stuff and have it shoved in your face Come on over, listen to a Metallica song, and we'll tell you some dumb jokes. I was going to say, and, give me, give me some dick and fart jokes and right. and the Nickelback song, you know. Exactly. So you know, but it it has been tough because you do still have that obligation of like educating the people, and and we're doing our best. And like people think that we're getting fucking like scripts emailed to us on a daily basis of like here's the lies to tell people about the vaccine today, and in reality. We're reading the goddamn news just like everybody yeah. else and yeah. just trying to make sense of it because we're not immunologists or virologists or any of this other shit. We're fucking radio DJs and we're talking to fucking welders and lawyers and all this. The, the whole cluster of, the, of us delivering and them receiving is as far away removed from expert analysis as could be possible. 
But at least on our side, we're admitting that. And there are people on the other side that have watched six YouTube videos and they've got it all figured out, brother. They know every conspiracy, every twist, every turn. I, I, I had someone ask me like, how do you look your kids in the eye when you're lying to people on the radio? And oh, I, I've never wanted to get in a fist fight with a stranger, yeah. <laughs> but the fuck was I close that day? So now, honestly, my show is on from 5.30 until 9. I usually have like meetings and shit. I get home maybe about 10 or 11. And I just, I just watch TV and not like live television. Like I'm talking like Netflix, Disney mm-hmm. plus the new Hawkeye shows. Fucking awesome. Um, I'm playing the new Halo game. I'm doing anything I can to avoid interacting with people now because yeah. I, I just can't, my, my brain can't handle. And it's a vocal minority. I should really emphasize that. The people that we're dealing with in the media that are making it out like it's some big conspiracy, like we're all trying to institute the fucking new world order. My new world order is Hall, Nash, and Hogan. It's not goddamn Bill Gates and the vaccine. Don't forget about Vincent. I try. I try to. <laughs> that meat sauce, baby. Come on. <laughs> you know? It's, so it now, is definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's the few, but the loud, you know? That's, that's just it. There's, there's not a ton of them. All you have to do is look at the, the vaccine rates in, in this country, province by province, city by city, whatever. Like, there's 75 to 90% of people that are like, okay, if this is the best thing that I should do, according to the expert analysis, then that's what I'm going to do. But man, do you ever hear from the fucking 25 to 10%? Yeah. <laughs> I saw people today. And again, we're recording a day or two or whatever before this is going to go out to the people, but the Foo Fighters just canceled a show in Minnesota and they full on said in social media, they're like, the venue would not comply with the band's requirements for COVID safety. So unfortunately we're canceling the show. We'll find another venue. We'll come back. We'll figure it out. But if you want refunds, here's where you go. You'll get your full money back. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. And I 38 years old with over 15 years in the media still read the fucking comments. <laughs> you can't help it, right? You can't help it. And they're awful. Just tragic and again it's maybe 150 people that are like hey sorry to hear that guys hope you guys can come back soon and then there's like 15 to 20 people but man are they louder than Mm -hmm. everybody else even in text somehow they're at the top of every thread (laughs) oh this that the next thing it's all the scam it's all the rules god damn it (laughs) i'm sorry i I get fired up. up I yeah, get fired yeah, up. Fair, it's fair. <laughs> All right. Um, what do you think the biggest misconception about a, 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 a radio DJ is? Because I've always thought, in my opinion, I think the biggest misconception is that you get to pick your own music and you can play whatever you want. 100%. Absolutely. And, and then the, the next biggest one that's related to that is that we all love music. And don't get me wrong, most people do enjoy music. But a lot of people have this perception, and I mean, I'm going to throw a name out, and maybe most people won't know who it is, but there's a guy like Jeff Woods, who's one of the most famous, iconic radio DJs in this country, who worked in Toronto forever, and he has his own uh, podcast, uh, Records and Rockstars, or something like that. Every every shithead has a podcast. Everybody does, (laughs) but I mean, this guy has interviewed... Every band in the history of anything, and he when he talks about music, or another guy, he's uh works in Winnipeg at City FM, Howard Manshine. These guys, music is in their 
fucking soul, man. They just live and breathe it. They know every note of every song and every word from the liner notes and every backstory for everybody who ever fucking pulled a cable for this band. They are musical geniuses and they are addicted to it. But I'll tell you right now, the average radio DJ just is like, yeah, I like that song. <laughs> and that's, that's a it. decent track. Most of us are fucking drama kids that just wanted to make, uh, you know, poop jokes, you know? Yeah. We're, we're, we're having fun. We're trying to entertain. We enjoy music. Not always the music on the radio station you're listening to or that we're working for, but mm-hmm. you take a job when you can get it. Of course. But, you know, you just, we're not obsessed, but people think because that's our job and they see these movies and these TV shows where they talk about, you know, WKRP and stuff like that. They're like, oh man, these guys must be obsessed with music. Eh, I listen to it when I'm going to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the picking the music thing is, is definitely a big one too and like i haven't picked the music i was a music director i was literally in charge of selecting all the music for a rock station i still even with that on my resume have never picked all the songs for my own show ever in my what fucking year is it 16 17 year career starting in january it'll be 17 years not a boy <laughs> i'm hanging in there uh now in terms of the pro wrestling what are you watching these days i i'm still i still pay for the network so i still have some vested interest in wwe i will say moving to ontario and doing morning radio and now everything starts at eight o'clock because i'm in the eastern time zone mm-hmm. has really put a damper on yeah. things oh, yeah. but at the same time with sportsnet and tsn and all these other apps and stuff usually even legally, it's easy enough to find and watch. And then if you want to put your eye patch on, obviously you can find it in other ways too. So I do tend to watch Raw. I definitely watch SmackDown. And I do watch the pay-per-views because I have the network and mm-hmm. I feel obligated to get my money's worth. I will say, I you know, I like the Roman Reigns stuff. I like the Bloodline stuff. I'm a huge Paul Heyman mark and I love anything New Day. So Big E being the champion makes me very happy. But honestly, everything it like Survivor Series was so fucking hard to watch to just to get through it. And especially because it just came off the the heels of I do watch a lot of AEW and their full gear pay-per-view was a masterpiece, in my opinion. You know what? I'm three quarters of the way through it. And uh, you know what? It, it, it's it's I don't know, maybe just too many people praised how great it was. But mm. I, I've, I've thought a lot of it is good. A couple of things were really good. I haven't finished it yet. But yeah, I don't know. I uh, It was funny because I was flipping around channels the other day waiting for my girlfriend to pick me up because we were going out. And I came across Raw. Mm-hmm. And I watched Raw for 24 minutes and did not see a bump. <laughs> so I was just going to ask. I was like, did you get one match in there? I no? did not. And yeah. then when I was at her place on the weekend, we were flipping channels uh, in between periods of the stupid fucking Oilers. And <laughs> I came across Impact Wrestling and there was a fucking wedding. And I was like, <sighs> okay. And I just realized I don't, I don't do weekly televised wrestling anymore. It's tough, man. I, it's I, very again, difficult. I, maybe I'm not snobby indie shithead, but I'm, I'm a snobby indie shithead. I don't and know. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think as long as you can accept that's who you are and that not everybody is like that. I, uh, I used to be that way. And it was a lot, it, it went part and parcel with my first run in pro wrestling where all of a sudden, like, I felt 
Like I was part of the business, brother. I knew <laughs> what was good, what was bad. And I'm watching ROH DVDs and guys are going 60 minutes with a handshake. And yeah, that's wrestling. <laughs> and I, you know, fuck John Cena. Everything John Cena does is the goddamn worst. Blah, 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 blah. And I remember talking and having a conversation with uh, Scott McCord, who works for the Bear in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. He's doing mornings now, him and Yukon Jack. And and uh, and we had had many angry aggressive conversations about how much we hated fucking pro wrestling because of uh you know self-perceived things like you know it has to be this way or it's not good and then one day we were sitting and we were talking and he was like i like john cena and at the time i was just like sir are you serious he's like you know i took my my hipster indie snob wrestler glasses off and i just realized that when john cena comes to the ring i get excited and he does five moves, but you know what? I pop for every one of them. And I don't care anymore that I hate John Cena because it's the thing I'm supposed to do. I just, I'm going back to enjoying wrestling because it's wrestling. And it was there that sort of pulled me out of it too. Yeah. And, this is, and sorry. What, this... what that's hurt is that I do have trouble getting into weekly programming, the same as you, because there are still those things that drag me down and almost bring that old me out again. But for the most part, I've I've allowed myself to just accept, like, you know what? I'm just enjoying. This is a great story. This is an interesting. I'm laughing, whatever the case might be. But uh, it's it, I, I think that the key is you're allowed to be a snobby pro wrestling fan as long as you're not shitting on someone else who isn't. You know. And and I I explained this a, a long time ago on on the the sat pod with the guys, and I kind of this is the way that I justify. And you may have heard me say this before. Everybody has their box of what they think that pro wrestling should fit into. Yeah. And I just, and now when I see something, I don't like the, like all the cinematic stuff. I can't stand it. I hate it. It's just not in my box. That's fair. So yeah. that's the way. So if, if, if that's your deal and I, I've, I've been very guilty of being like, that's fucking stupid and you shouldn't like it. And I'm trying to get better with that. It's just <laughs> not in my box. Plus I can't, you know, I'm not regimented anymore to like Monday night at six o'clock. I watch our, like I watch, I, I, I have a lot of, or a couple of the, the indie services that have everything on demand. And I just you mm. know, click on what I click on. And I also, I put my eye patch on a lot. <laughs> as you would say and, and you know i watch what i want when i want and and yeah i still watch a lot just not you know the the, the weekly television programs well we're not we're not beholden to it anymore like mm-hmm. when we were growing up in, in the monday night wars right like i can remember i had a little uh, satellite receiver in my room and well mondays you'd uh, what was it mondays you'd watch raw on tsn and then you'd get the replay of nitro on tuesday nights and Mm -hmm. then there was thunder and then like every day of the week you were watching wrestling but you had to be watching it at a specific time you know six o'clock or whatever it was when i was living in the northwest territories and and you know this was even before dvrs and i mean there was tape trading but sure fucking wasn't happening in hay river and there was uh there was torrenting to some extent but again i had dial-up internet i was yeah. downloading pro wrestling shows but uh yeah and, and then i also look back at that like you know everybody wants to be wwe versus aew or even look back at like wcw versus wwf man i just fuck i watched it all i just yeah. loved it all because it was wrestling it was like i was talking about the cfl earlier i didn't have a favorite team i just loved the sport and i yeah. would watch whatever i could get my hands on 
And I just think like there are some great stuff happening in WWE and there are some cool things happening. I mean, I just watched the angle with impact where uh, Jonah, what what was his NXT gimmick? Oh, Jonah uh, Bronson Reed. Bronson Reed. Yeah. He's now he's in impact and he came out at the end of a show and he, fucking murder josh alexander and i thought oh my god i'm kind of curious about where that program's going yeah. to go and aew is doing a lot of things with brian danielson and with uh cm punk and eddie kingston eddie kingston's a guy i never thought i would give a shit about but oh. now i'm tuning in on a weekly basis to be like what's eddie kingston gonna do and i pulled my snob card and i've been like i've been a fucking eddie kingston fan for a decade and i totally Dude. pulled my snob card and been like i told you loved him and since I, the self-titled uh, album since yeah <laughs> but i think that's one of the things that i learned about when i was in radio school that the way the way we consume media has changed and before yeah. you got what you got when you got it and now it's i want what i want when i I want it and that's yeah. what i think is the big difference with like the, the over-the-top services and shit like that anyway i've kept you for a really long time and quite <laughs> frankly i'm hungry uh but <laughs> i was I, gonna say you've kept me but it's mostly my fault for going off on every topic <laughs> and i haven't eaten in like seven minutes so uh, i went on the social medias to ask for for some questions for you and i'm gonna sure go on to my telephone right now and i'm gonna ask you some of these questions uh should wrestlemania have a halftime show Similar to the Super Bowl, or are wrestling fans just not into that sort of thing? If the answer is yes, what band would you put in that WrestleMania halftime show? Cough, cough, Metallica, cough, cough. <laughs> so, well, here's the thing. The halftime show at like a football game, at a Super Bowl, at a Great Cup, is not there for any other reason than to draw an audience that doesn't give a shit about football. That's why Metallica never plays the Super Bowl. That's why it's Justin Bieber playing at the Great Cup, or... Well, I guess this year it's the Arkells, and that's nice. But even then, the Arkells do tend to trend to alternative or even pop audiences. Mm -hmm. Even though Rock is like, yeah, we'll take the Arkells. It's CanCon. It's great. Yeah. Great. And and the other thing is, is that those shows are on free television. The reason that WrestleMania does not need a halftime show is because imagine, because, uh, I mean, who's still paying for per pay-per-view? But you have the network. You're paying your network fee. And you're watching the show, and then all of a sudden, there's a 20-minute concert in the middle of it. You're like, get the fuck back to the wrestling that I paid for. I'm not here for this. But they've done that in the past. They've had they'll do one song. Before. Yeah, they'll have one song. Like the first WrestleMania that I went to, uh, 31 in San Francisco, they had travis barker and whatever that chick's name was and i'm not gonna mm. lie it was kind of a cool little thing for a few minutes like if it was longer than the like four or five minutes it was i would have been like okay bring out sting but That's for what it was i was it. like it was kind of a cool little distraction it was kind of added to the ambiance of it maybe different on tv but being there it was kind of cool usually what it is is it gives you a couple minutes to come down after a hot match you and i mean it's wrestlemania right the last five matches on wrestlemania card are in theory banger matches. So you put something like that in there to give people like four minutes, run to the bathroom, go get a beer, go get a popcorn, hit the merch stand, whatever. We got you. You're not going to miss anything. But a full-on halftime show where we're talking like 15 to 20 minutes, four, five, six medleys from an artist. Now you're just going to be arguing like what's the best because wrestling fans are so diverse are we getting flow rider? Are we getting Metallica? Are we getting a country artist? Are we getting a pop star? What are we doing? You're going to piss off people. Usually those things, it's either someone playing the theme song for the show. Exactly. Yep. 
or it's a band that's playing like one of their songs and then they roll into playing the entrance music for yeah. the next competitor. Yeah. So a full on halftime show, I don't think would work unless it's like an untelevised indie show and you're replacing the intermission with that maybe, but even then like Metallica is not going to play at RCW, you know? Well, I mean, not with that kind of attitude. Uh, <laughs> tell me about your time working with and helping guide Andy Anderson to the PWA title and who your favorite Muppet characters are. <laughs> I mean, we, we kind of talked about like working with Andy Anderson is my favorite time in wrestling because he was just such a he was such a great dude. He was so just a pleasure to work with the utmost professional, but also like a good friend. Like we could talk about wrestling or we could just talk about life you know it, it worked either way and and i still try to keep up with andy as much as i can probably not as much as i should but i i loved absolutely every moment from our first matches together to all the promos that we would film backstage because we were the only guys that would <laughs> film with you when you yep. were running around yep. with the camera going someone give me content Yep. We were just enough camera whores that we would do literally six a show if you'd Pre let us. Pre-show, post-show, <laughs> next show, last show. Uh, and then as for favorite Muppet, I'm assuming this is this question is either from you or from Andy. No, it's from everybody Andy. Knows. It's from him. Everybody knows it's Statler and Waldorf, the two old guys up yes. in the balcony just shitting on everything because... Not that we were trying to be rude to anybody, but there were times where Andy and I would end up in front of the monitor waiting for our thing yep. and we'd be watching and you were there too. Uh -huh. Sometimes you would fill in for me or you would mm -hmm. fill in for him, but there was always at least two of us. This is awful. <laughs> this match isn't half bad. Yeah, it's all bad. <laughs> yeah. Now, I would, be, I would be remiss favorites. if I didn't mention that I choked Andy Anderson out and defeated him soundly, but you know, we'll move on. <laughs> Only because I wasn't managing it. Well, hey, you know what? You dropped the ball on that one. Um, <laughs> this is from Scotty, who always asks every guest I've ever had, who is your favorite Scott band? Uh, whoever did the theme song for Malcolm in the Middle, because that's the extent of my ska oh, experience. I couldn't name that, actually. I have, I no, have idea. no idea who it was. I'm not even sure if that's a ska song. I kind of yeah. hope that it's not and that he's mad now. Well, I'm sure <laughs> we'll hear all about it. Yeah. Uh, who are your managerial idols? Oh my God. I mean, you know, you go old school and if you're not saying Bobby Heenan, you're fucking lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. Bobby Heenan was just, I mean, he was everything, right? He could talk, he could get physical. He was believable if he was on the attack, because usually if he was doing something physical, it was after someone in the Heenan family had set him up to do it. And he was just as believable getting his ass kicked all over the ring. Yeah. And he, the biggest thing about him, and that's the problem with a lot of the guys that I see now, not necessarily managers, because there just aren't that many out there anymore, but uh, there's too many guys that are scared to show their ass as a heel. I was like, just going to say, there isn't enough guys who are willing to just look and like a fucking idiot. And that happened to yeah. me before I smartened myself up. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. years ago, we did a story or we did an angle a million years ago at, at a Friday night at a Halloween show where I was banned from ringside unless Kurt picked my costume Is and this the dress picked the dress. And my yeah. initial reaction was, I don't want to fucking do that. I'll look stupid. Right. And then I, I, I thought about it more and I was like, no, this is fucking awesome. And it just, it was a split second, really quick thing. But then I, yeah. I realized, no, this is fucking great. Everyone's oh, that, gonna look at me in a dress. It's gonna be awesome. And I just, I took me like just like a couple of minutes to get it. But once I got it, like, I don't know. People still remember that. 
And that's the thing is like, you know, Andy's the best wrestler in that locker room, hands down. Like there's no denying it or debating it, but he had no problem going out there and letting some of these up and coming baby faces not, not win the match, obviously, because he's the world champ or whatever you want to call it. But he, he had no problem letting them get their stuff in, get their spots in, doing stuff where he and I would look, even if just briefly, like a couple of maroons, because it got the crowd invested in it. If we just come out as the heels and we just kick everyone in the dick every week and no one ever gets us back. That's a fucking bad show. Yeah. Like you, you start, you, you get, you build up this anger, like, oh my God, he did it again. I can't wait for this guy to get his ass kicked. And then eventually you realize, oh, he's never going to get yeah. his ass kicked. And then you don't sell tickets. Oh, he put Kevin Sane over in nine seconds. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. He was never afraid to do that. And that we need more of that in, in wrestling today of, of people realizing that sometimes it's okay to look like a fucking loser. <laughs> Uh, who helped you most as a manager on the indie scene? Uh, on the indie scene. Hmm. I mean, there wasn't a lot at the See, time. that's the thing too. And that's one of the reasons why I think that I wasn't a great manager is I didn't really have anybody like the wrestlers can ask wrestler, you know, what, you know, the, the, the more senior guys, yeah, you know, what can I do better? And that's one of the things that I also would think that it took me a long time to kind of get my commentary footing too is i didn't have anybody i could go to and say can you listen to this what can i do better yeah i mean you know like i had you uh, that i could bounce ideas off of and you were always great for that and uh, like i said when i was first breaking in in rcw there was uh alistair dark who was a manager over there that i he wasn't any really more experienced or talented than i was but we could bounce ideas off each mm -hmm. other and just sort of like, like, you know, flesh things out a little bit. But I mean, you know, I would have, I would have killed to have worked uh, with, uh, with Thaddeus Archer at, at the time, because I, just to have someone who's obviously so gifted at what he's doing and, and just like, just gets it. You can tell when you see this stuff and I haven't even seen him. I don't even think I've actually seen Thad live, but I've seen videos and stuff. And you mm -hmm. can just tell by the way he moves, by the way he works, by the way he talks like this guy gets it and yeah. i wish that i had people more people like yeah, that around sure. when i was doing it but um yeah i mean i i did get an opportunity as a, as a big mouth shitty heel manager to work with a lot of guys like christopher daniels like aj styles like uh brutus the barber beefcake mick foley where i would i you know they would come up to me and they would shake my hand because they were professionals afterwards and i would always try and just steal at least a couple minutes to be like hey like is there anything you thought that I did out there that was good, but also was there anything out there that you would like never like me to do again? You yeah. know, I, I, I tried to make the most of that with guys that I knew had worked with big level managers, but yeah, just unfortunately being in Alberta in the early to mid two thousands and early 2010s, like there was just no one to talk to him. Didn't Christopher Daniel so. say that you gave him like the softest bump of his career? Yeah, he did a, uh, uh, so a slingshot to the floor, right? Slingshot to the floor. And I accidentally caught him <laughs> like full on <laughs> caught him. Oops. And I, this was both, this was one of the injuries before I, I had any training. He asked if he could do the dive and I thought, well, what's the harm in it, right? Like, what do I need to know? He's going to jump on me and I'm going to fall down. And then a couple of people backstage got in my head, like better not drop the star, better not drop the superstar, better yeah, not get thanks, him, guys. him hurt. And so as he's coming over, all I'm thinking is like, this motherfucker is not touching the ground. <laughs> and then I felt his full weight in my arms and I took a bump 
because I was like, well, no, we have to go down. And I smashed my head on the floor of the gymnasium. Uh And I don't remember the rest of the match. (laughs) And I don't remember any of the backstage stuff. But apparently, as I was uh, regaining consciousness on the floor, the match ended. He went to the back and said uh, it was something akin to there's not one goddamn guy in TNA ever caught me as good as that big bastard. (laughs) And I wear it as a badge of honor. Hell yeah. uh, I wish I could remember it. <laughs> now we're going to end this episode the way we ended last week's episode with the story. I want to get the story from your perspective. Michael oh. Allen, Richard Clark told me Speaking a story of concussions, told me a story about uh, <laughs> a, a, like a Royal rebel style thing where a gentleman was, was, was in the ring and they were going to, you know, go, go tangle with him. And they're like, no way, Dolby's coming in next. Let's see what happens with Dolby. Yeah. And, and he explained that you got German suplex on your head. And it was funny because you sent me the video the next day at work. And yeah. I watched it in the break room and I burst out fucking laughing. And everybody thought that I was a lunatic, but I was like, no, you don't understand because you can see you get, and I'm like, you know, I'm not like happy you got murdered or anything. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you just get destroyed and they're just standing oh in the God. corner like, Okay, oh, yeah. that, that just happened. So tell me I, from, from your perspective, and I'm going to take this video, and, and when I, the podcast goes up, if you're cool with it, I'm going to tweet this video along with the podcast, if you're cool with that. No, by all means, because it's a great, that's the thing, right? This is the, the broken part of me, is like, I hated it in the moment, but when I saw the video the next day, I was like, ooh, content. I shared it out on, on yeah. all kinds of social media. Yeah. Clark tells the story brilliantly. Like, he masterfully... It's, it's well told every time I've ever heard him tell it. And shout out to the Sass Boys, uh, which is, you know, Clark, McSugar, uh, O'Doyle, Sean Moore, uh, Parsons. Like, oh, my God. There's so many talented guys from yep. when I was yep. doing my time in Regina. But Jeff yes, Tyler. I was working. Jeff Tyler is amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, so, so many guys. But I'm working what's called a pile of bones rumble. It's the Regina version of the Royal Rumble. And we're doing some angle. I'm actually working babyface. You would have hated it. I'm oh, working God. babyface. Uh, the the heel champion had like got in my face, and we did. We this was a big thing we were working towards that actually never really paid off. We were doing angles on my radio show. We were having him jump me in the studio. We were having back and forths on the mic. It was a fellow named Robbie Gamble who's just an incredibly talented heel who doesn't wrestle anymore, but still at the time we were having such a good thing. And then he, he got the championship. He became the champion. And of course I was the ring announcer slash local radio celebrity personality, what the hell ever. So why would I ever get a match with the champion of the promotion at the time? So I entered myself in a, a desperate attempt to get my hands on him. Cause he had jumped me in the ring a couple shows ago I entered this pile of bones rumble where the the main event or the, the prize was a world title shot, a heavyweight title shot. I shouldn't say world title shot. Um, The world, damn it. I know. So we're in the ring. And at the time, uh, you know, I've been in there for a little bit now and I'm (laughs) gassed as shit. So there's about seven guys in the ring. I want to say when the music hits for a fellow named uh, Kevy Chevy, who's a Winnipeg based (laughs) wrestler for CWE. And, uh, at that time, no one is around me. I'm literally center of the ring. And so I kind of do the thing you're supposed to do, like square up to the entrance and wait for him to come in so that I can, you know, feed and he can uh, get his shine. 
And in behind me in the corner, here's Flex Appeal, which is Mike McSugar and Michael Allen, Richard Clark, and they're doing their own thing. And all of a sudden, all I hear, I don't hear any of the preamble where they're like, oh, what should we do here? Blah, blah, blah. All I hear is, well, let Dolby go first. <laughs> and their heels, I'm babyface. I can't turn around and like acknowledge them. <laughs> it's not, there's no way for me to do that without just fully being like, hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so I stay focused as I see Kevy start running down the entrance ramp towards the ring and go, well, shit, something's about to happen. So he comes in and like in my head, I remember trying to like throw a line, assuming he would do something and, and kick shit out of me. But then I found the video that I sent to you last week after Clark told the story. And really, I don't even know what the fuck I did, but I like took two like stumbling steps towards the guy who then like shoot dips around behind me yeah, goes behind and and he gets his hands locked around my waist which shows that he's got a wingspan because i got a waist and the next <laughs> thing i know i am fucking airborne i am up in the air i am flowing over his shoulders and i land high up smash oh, my yeah. head on the ground and i'm thrown with such momentum that i fully rotate back up to my knees and everybody's ta- everybody who sees it is like, oh, man, the flare flop was so good. You know, that stalled, like, mm-hmm. dazed Mortal Kombat finisher, and then you finally take the bump? That was not intentional. I was <laughs> loopy. I didn't know where I was. <sighs> and the only thing I can think of, like, I've talked to Chevy since, but he's never really given an, ex- an idea of why he threw me so far. The only thing I can think of is that he knew I was a radio guy, with a guest spot in this rumble and didn't know that I had working experience and training and probably just thought, okay, here's this fat radio guy. I got to throw him so that it looks good. Yeah. I got to shoot this. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. At no point was I a willing uh, cooperative participant in that situation, but yeah, I, they, they knew that Kevin was going to come running into the ring with some fire. And uh, the boys in Flex Appeal had worked with him enough to go, let Dolby, let go, Dolby first. go first. And All right. I did go first. And it was, that was, you know, <laughs> we talked about Christopher Daniels. That was my first wrestling concussion. Kevy Chevy, I believe, was my last. And I'm, I'm done now. I'm, I'm out of wrestling. Um, uh, check out myself at BBBORIS on the Twitter machine. And you can check out that video. Um, give us your social medias where we can hear you on the radio and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, the radio is easy. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. If you grab the uh, Radio Player Canada app, you can find the show. Uh, the home station for the show is uh, KROC 105.7 based out of Kingston here in Ontario. It's the Brock and Dolby show. It's on 5.30 in the morning uh, until 9 in the morning. That's Eastern time. So I know there's a lot of folks from Alberta, Saskatchewan listening to this. You're going to have to get up right real early. Uh, the show doesn't have a podcast I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> that's a different story for another time. Every idiot has a podcast. Everybody, we don't, we don't, we don't have one. But yeah, if you want to hear the show live, uh, we can also check out uh, the K Rock Facebook page because we do post a lot of uh, videos from the show on there. A lot of content. I'm on Twitter. Uh, that's probably the social media network I hate the most to spend the most time on. Just at Dolby <laughs> D A L B Y. Uh, Facebook.com slash Dolby. That's going to get you to my page on there. Uh, Instagram, Dolby FM. It's either Dolby or Dolby FM on, on everything. YouTube, Twitch, Facebook. I don't use half of them, but I'm there. 
I'm the, yeah. I'm the guy that signs up to, to secure my name every time yeah. a new platform comes out. And then, you know, maybe I use it. I post a TikTok once every four months or so. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm there. I'm out there. Um, is your uh, Hakuna Matata's charity thing, is that still going? Or is there a way that people can get involved in that? Or is there any kind of charity that you would like to give a quick plug to? Uh, I mean, honestly, anything to do with the Canadian Cancer Society, I'm on board with. For those that don't know, we uh, we designed a shirt for October for Breast Cancer Month where we let our listeners sort of come up with like, what would our fundraising team name be for Breast Cancer Awareness Month? And they came up with Hakuna Matatas, obviously the boob joke there. And uh, so, yeah, we we had uh, shirts uh, designed and we didn't know what to expect, but we put them out there for 30 bucks with proceeds going towards the Canadian Cancer Society. And we we ordered 100 of them. We're like, oh, we got 100. Like, how many could we possibly sell? And we sold out in the first like six hours (laughs) ended up. uh, We ended up raising. We just gave uh, the big the big check. We just had the photo op with the big check for Canadian Cancer Society. Uh, in the span of two weeks, uh, selling shirts and taking donations, we raised 5,800 bucks for Canadian Cancer awesome. Society. Awesome. Good for so, you, man. Thanks, awesome. man. And they made merch, you know, and <laughs> as a wrestling mark, hey. any kind of merch with your name on it. Yep. And not only did, did we make these shirts and sell them for charity, but uh, a bunch of scummy t-shirt like robot sites actually ripped the design and you can now <laughs> you can still buy them. If you're willing to give your credit card number to a very unreputable t-shirt website. Where do I sign up? <laughs> all right, My anything- co-host was Googling our names and he found all these scam t-shirt sites that just like stole our design and are selling it now. Excellent. That's how you know you've made it. Yeah, but do not buy it. If you end up seeing a Hakuna Matata's t-shirt, you will lose your bank account information. Don't buy it. It's that's not a real thing anymore. It's right next to that uh, bootleg Bullet Club shirt, right? <laughs> it's, it's a hot topic. Is there anything uh, else you wanna you wanna say or throw out there before we uh, we call call it a day? Oh man, I, listen, I'm just I'm just pumped that you're doing this i'm so happy that you got this podcast and you you're you're putting out all these great conversations with all these people i haven't heard from in so long and you know hopefully hopefully one day i can i can make my way back out to alberta and kurt can put me in the pwa hall of fame like he promised 10 years ago and 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 we can have some fun but uh in the meantime it was just it was a blast catching up with you brother once they uh, once they put me in the hall of fame it kind of put a put an end to that thing well, I just like, I don't understand why putting someone in the bargain basement doesn't mean we can't still put someone in the penthouse. You That's know? right. It was funny because when I asked you if you wanted to be on the podcast, you had the best reply ever. You were like, finally. But I honestly, I, I didn't think, I didn't know if you'd want to, if you're into it. Like anybody that I've asked, I almost feel like I'm bothering them, you know? Oh, man. Yeah. I'm watching all these guys. I'm watching you like, I'm like, Michael Allen, Richard Clark's on before me. What the fuck? <laughs> All but right, no, well, man, I was I was waiting for it and I was happy to do it and it went just as I expected. This was a lot of fun and I'm sorry for your editing cuz I know this is running at about 2 hours at this point. That's all right. No worries. <laughs> um I'm thinking we're, I'm looking at uh, perhaps Tex Gaines next week. That'll be an interesting chat. Jesus Christ. Tex Gaines knows how to use Zoom? Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> I, I might want to actually look into that before I advertise it. So I've decided uh I started this last week and I've decided every week until uh Christmas uh, I'm going to go out with a, a sort of punk rock themed Christmas song. Uh, last week, it was uh, White Christmas by Bad Religion. This right. week, it's going to be, I believe, the greatest punk rock Christmas song of all time. It is the Mighty Ramones 
with uh, Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight tonight. This has been episode 21. That's right, 21 of the Pocket Potterers podcast. Thank you again, Mr. Dobby. Who are the remotes? You know what? I'm just going to erase this whole thing. I'm just going to cut you out. I'm just going to talk to dead air. I'm going to cut you out. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you guys all next week. We're a Talking